to the latest Rosenfeld Review Podcast. This is Lou Rosenfeld, and I'm here today with Carla Diana. Hi, Carla. Hi, Lou. How are you? I'm doing very well this morning. Thank you. So, um, if uh, where you are this morning, if I recall, uh, because you told me you had a chalkboard behind you, is in an academic setting, namely UPenn's Integrated Product Design Program, where you're a lecturer. That is correct. What's going on on that chalkboard? Are you figuring stuff out for... Smart objects? Um, could be, although it's not my chalkboard. Somebody else was um, figuring out something complex, which could be a robot or something else. And, and that's kind of what you're involved in. I mean, you're a well-known consultant in this area. Uh, you're not just lecturing. Um, how did you find your way into smart objects, and how long have you been at it? Um, so I've been at it, believe it or not, at this point about eight years and I always had a passion for physical things. I studied mechanical engineering, and then I studied industrial design to bring the human side of it forward. Uh, but I had been a geeky kid who loved computer programming. And at some point around, you know, nine, eight years ago, I realized that the two things were absolutely going to come together and we would be using computer programming to devise behaviors for our physical things. And I felt like I could have it all. I could have my geeky computer self and my passion for the physical world. Was there some uh, moment or event seven or eight years ago which just sort of made you go, aha, or was it just staring you in the face and you just couldn't, uh, no way to miss it at that point? Um, You know, it was a combination of things. Um, I've always really been close with academia, whether or not I've been directly working in it. Actually, a number of my clients are academic research labs, and I love that because it gives me a glimpse into the future. The things that, you know, are being worked on in research I see trickle down. And, um, you know, so at the time I was working as a design director at uh, Smart Design, um, an innovation consulting firm that has offices in New York and London, and um, working on, you know, very everyday things like coffee makers and car interiors and dishwashers. And then, you know, working with these research labs that were um, creating robots that you could talk to and you could hand objects to and you could train um, in a really human way. And, And I really saw very clearly that those things were going to be coming together in the near future. Um, and in fact, you know, they, they are. We're just about that, that cusp where the reality is happening. So it's interesting because you describe yourself as a hybrid designer and you're going to be, um, you use another H word, holistic, in the talk that you're going to be giving at our virtual conference on April 25th. Uh, Carl is giving a talk called Crafting Holistic Product Experiences Using Light, Sound, and Motion in Your Design Palette. And, you know, I almost get the sense talking with you and, and knowing a little bit about your work uh, that, you know, we're, we're sort of at a point where, like, the individual areas of craft are maybe not devoid of challenges, but we understand those areas. It, it's synthesizing them, putting them together in a holistic approach using a, a, a maybe a hybrid framing 
that's where the real challenge is. Is that what you're going to be talking about uh, on April 25th? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's really been something that I've been pushing forward in my work, um, you know, in the consulting practice. When I was at SMART, I was always uh, trying to lead projects where all aspects of the product were considered together. So if it was a robotic vacuum cleaner, for example, um, could we think about how it moved as, you know, expressing something about what it was um, doing? You know, could we, in one of those projects, I hired a composer to really think about the palette of sounds and how that communicated. And, you know, it used to be we thought of, um, industrial designers as doing one part of the job and then interaction designers did another part of the job and the engineers did another part of the job and um, you know really the most successful products are the ones where those things are conceived together and it's all about the message that communicates in a human way so you know, obviously, it's a big challenge. We're 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 trying to synthesize so many things right now. And when you get the inter the interaction designer and the composer and the industrial designer and others together, there's a bunch of challenges. There's challenges of framing. There's challenges of linguistics. Uh, you know, we we don't use the same terminology, but we may mean the same thing, or we may use the same terminology, but we mean different things. Um, how do you get people to the to, to see what they have in common and, and grow that into enough commonality that they can have good conversations and actually start solving problems together? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it does take a great team, and I do actually look for people who enjoy design. I mean, there are... I uh, have a, some really good engineering partners who appreciate design, as well as designers who appreciate engineering. So um, the chemistry of the team is no small hurdle, I think. Um, and then, you know, the bottom line is, and we talk about user-centered design or people-centered design, there's still a human being at the core of the, the project. And so, you know, what I try to do is break down the product's performance into critical moments and actually decode those moments in ways that anyone might be able to understand. So, you know, in actual human language and actually attach some emotional value to the different moments. So, um, Can you give an you know, example of one of those moments? And, and... Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, for example, if it's, um, if it's a robot vacuum cleaner, I worked closely for a while with a client called Nito um, that's a competitor. Many people are familiar with the Roomba. It's a similar product, although it has a more advanced um, vision technology. And, um, you know, the robot is autonomous in that it will go and clean your room for you without you having to do it. But it still needs to communicate some things to you. It needs your help when it's full, for example. Or, you know, it needs your help if it runs out of battery and it's not going to get to its base in time. Um, 
And so those are kind of critical moments. And what I like to do in a project like that is map them out and map out, you know, what are, what's the robot thinking and feeling essentially. So, you know, if the robot has just finished cleaning the room and wants to let you know, that's kind of a a high, high note, you know, that's a little celebration. So it would make a sound and, and maybe have a light pattern that, that lets you know, okay, the room is clean now. I'm done. I've done my job. I'm going back to my base. Um, you know, as opposed to a moment of distress, right? If it's stuck under the couch or if, like I said, it's, it's running dangerously low on battery, um, and it, it needs to let you know. And so then, you know, working with the composer, we describe, we say, okay, well, you know, this is a moment of, of kind of distress. And, and, and I really like to talk in those terms. And then, we can craft, you know, um, the all of those things, the light, the sound, and the motion to communicate that moment. But the core of it is translating it into this human experience. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up this issue of distress that the robot might have because I just got back from a weekend in South Florida where, where every road has been, you know, designed for the easiest driving experience possible. And I live in New York. And right. I, where I try not to drive. And yeah. uh, I was thinking about a driverless car and, and how it would have no problem in Florida. And then, you know, if it was suddenly finding itself, let's say, before fourth, below 14th Street in Manhattan. Yeah. And it would just be like, what the hell? Right. And is there a, you know, I'm wondering if some of these robots are, are being like a given permission to just say to the human, I don't know, man, it got me. Can you take over? Right, right. Yeah, well, and actually, um, I just wrote a piece for Popular Science that was in the Best of What's New November issue on this very topic. And um, it's not a small topic. You know, we've had um, fatal accidents with the... um, with uh, driver assist with the Tesla autopilot feature. And um, so I was asked to write a piece and, and, you know, weigh in on it. And um, my bottom line was really that it was designers who um, need to take on the challenge to communicate in both directions. And um, people involved in the autonomous driving field talk about the handoff, which is exactly the situation you describe. You know, if the human wants to take over, how does it let the vehicle know that it's taking control um, or vice versa? If the um, it wants the car to take over control or if the car wants the human to take over control. And, you know, we have... Th- a lot of mental models and illusions about what we think is going on in what I'll call the robot's brain. Um, And those aren't necessarily accurate. You know, the general public is not necessarily um, schooled in um, camera vision, let's say. Uh, So it's really critical for designers to be communicating and um, having a way that the vehicle lets the person know, hey, I don't understand this. I don't see well. I don't see what you see or process what you process. I need you to take over. Well, this gets back to the whole idea of hybrid. I mean, I think you you just hit the nail on the head that we, we sort of, I think most of us at least think that these these robot experiences are exclusively 
autonomous. They're not a hybrid of the human and the robot handing off and, and both collaborating on a, a shared goal rather than just handing the whole thing over and, and falling asleep in the back seat. Um, you know, so it, 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 what I'm starting to envision based on what you're saying is a customer journey map that includes the, the robot as, as one of the, the players in that, in that journey. I mean, the swim lane, it better be a swim lane for the, for the robot, you know, and also, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse or, or not, but in talking, um, about, um, the sort of increasingly robotic or autonomous experiences that are going to start cropping up in in, in everyday conventional experiences that we take for granted. I, I was talking with um, uh, a designer from one of the, the uh, I, I don't know if he still say the big three automotive companies who's working on driverless cars. And it's fascinating because they are creating a different experience altogether that sort of assumes to some degree that customers are no longer necessarily drivers or they're not there to be drivers and think about the billions of dollars that have been invested in marketing let's say Ford or uh, you know uh, or, or uh, Mercedes-Benz or, or any company as, as being sort of marketed marketing to, to drivers so you relate to a Ford as a driver in a certain way that's different than you would relate to Audi or another firm and suddenly that's no longer necessarily what you know they're no longer creating cars for drivers they're creating transportation for for people who may or may not have a role in driving and so how how do people relate to brands when that transition happens and do, do are their brands even still rel, uh, uh, relevant any longer well, yeah. Well, or, you know, what an opportunity because now we have these intelligent agents that have light, sound, and motion, you know, and they have voices. And um, all of those things are now part of the palette of the brand. So I would argue that we have to think about it even more. We're just not you know, thinking about it in the same way. And I, and I do think I'm pretty excited about it because I too, am a New Yorker and, um, you know, don't necessarily drive on this unless I have to. And I have found that my students are qu quite similar. The, a lot of the younger generations feel like, you know, do people still want to drive? Whereas a lot of my peers, um, say like, but I love driving. I'm going to miss that, you know? And, um, so I'm excited about open, opening us up to entirely new experiences and all of the languages that we're going to get to create as designers. And, um, you know, one of the projects that I is recently, um, finished the first stages of is a, um, a robot that is being deployed in hospital settings. It is in conjunction with the University of Texas in Austin and a professor named Andrea Tamaz. And um, we design this robot that can assist nurses. And, um, and you know, I, it, when Andrea came back from one of the first tests, I said, well, how did it go? And she said, yeah, you know, we're really thinking about the, the voice, the the attitude of the robot is 
something that um, comes across very strongly, and we may want to tweak it a little bit. Um, so I, I just love uh, tackling those kind of questions. So, um, and by the way, I'll make one more aside based on uh, driving in New York. I, I did get in a cab yesterday at JFK to go home, and uh, the first thing the driver asks me, as you, I'm sure you've experienced this, is how do you want to go? Oh, yes. <laughs> now, a few years ago, that would be unheard of. And, and in fact, I still think it's a bit uh, remarkable that I, they don't know whether I'm a native New Yorker or not. How would I know how to go? But the technology's already changed that whole interaction dramatically in that they expect uh, us to guide them as drivers using our GPS systems of one type or another. Um, you know, let, let's just return to the, the theme of the, the, the conference on April 25th. It's called To Be Designed, and the whole conceit of it is we're covering, uh, uh, it's almost like we're taking a journey with six speakers, including Carla, where we're looking at uh, um, the future, but the future that is you know, not so far out that you, you know, just can't imagine it. I mean, it might be exciting, but uh, you know, probably none of us are gonna be terraforming Mars anytime soon but not so near that it's not exciting. So like, you know, a journey of a few years out, a future that you can actually imagine designing in your career. Uh, talk a little bit more about light and sound and motion and how those might come together in the next few years. What, what have you seen that you think the rest of us uh, are going to be grappling with in the, in the near future? Um, well, you know, what I see in um, working with research institutions like the Socially Intelligent Machines Lab, which is the lab that runs these, is running these hospital robot experiments, is that um, social interaction is core to how we interact with the robots. And I think it's going to be core to how we interact with our physical things in terms of, you know, we may gesture and um, we may speak to it. I mean, we're already starting to see that with some of the um, intelligent agents like Siri or um, Amazon Echoes, Alexa. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to go much deeper than we've even seen. And, um, you know, what's exciting to me is this idea of using light, sound and motion to abstract things that communicate in a human way, but are maybe a shorthand. So a lot of the robots that I work on actually do have um, heads. Some of them have faces. Some of them don't. Um, but um, we don't necessarily need that in our objects, but we may have one part of it. So, for example, um, one product that does this really well is um, some of the higher-end conferencing cameras. And they um, can do things like spin around and turn towards the person who's speaking to let you know that, that there's a gaze on that person. Um, and, you know, a lot of our everyday products are going to have cameras, you know, what if your vacuum cleaner had a camera and you point, you would point and the two of you would look in the direction and you said, you know, please clean up that mess. 
And, you know, if there was something that indicated where the robot was looking, you would, you would need to get confirmation that the robot had understood the word mess and had seen what you had seen. And that's going to happen through a social interaction. So there may be something that looks like a small head on top of the vacuum cleaner that spins around and looks in the same direction that you look. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's such a basic interaction, and yet it could be such a better interaction because, damn it, I hate kind of trying to squeeze the vacuum under places that I'm getting a little too creaky to reach myself. Uh, yeah. And, you know, what you got me thinking about is is then, again, how you take what we're taking from these more physical uh, design contexts and, and taking them to the ones that... <laughs> It almost seems like they're old and creaky themselves, but the digital only ones. So if I'm a website uh, designer, uh, I, I'm I'm still wondering. Even though those are you know mostly information spaces and they're they're purely digital for many people, are they going to start? Are we going to start learning from these more physical uh, uh, contexts that we're designing for, and maybe bringing some of of what you're learning in those spaces to the purely digital? Hmm. It'd be yeah. interesting. It would well, be very interesting. Well, Carla, thank you. This is fantastic. Uh, I really wish we could talk longer, but um, you know, if you want to learn more about Carla, go to carladiana.com, right? I got yes. that right. And mm -hmm. um, please come to uh, Carla's talk on April 25th. It's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a virtual conference, so you can join us from your desk in your pajamas if you really must <laughs> and uh we, we won't judge yeah we won't judge and uh, every ticket uh includes uh the recordings in perpetuity uh so if you can't make everyone on the 25th you can certainly come back to it later uh carl will be joined by a great cast uh, mike kunyavsky chris nessel liza kindred uh giles colborn and kenneth bowles so um Go to 2, the number 2, bdesign.com. I hope to see you April 25th. Thanks, Carla. Great talking with Thank you. Thank you. It was great to chat.